This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, Jenny Lynn Sweat talks about embracing single adults in the church family. Jenny Lynn is the Director of Adult Ministries at Restoration Community Church in St. Louis, Missouri. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2022 General Assembly. Let's listen as Jenny Lynn shares how to embrace single adults in the church family. Uh, Well, I am Jenny Lynn Sweat. As Dave said, thank you for that introduction. And it is uh, fun to have Dave do the intro for this because we have uh, journeyed together through the past couple of years um, of this writing project. And um, my book came out in October, and I'm glad to get to um, share a little bit more about it with you today. Um, And really, my hope in writing Singleness Living Faithfully um, was to not only Um, care for single people and provide a resource for folks who are single like me, um, but also for um, those who love and care for and help to lead and shepherd single people in the church. Um, Because I think this is a place where we've really seen a gap in resources, um, a gap in in really thinking about what this looks like over the years. So um, I'm excited to be able to contribute to that. I am first and foremost a daughter of God. Um, That is my primary identity before anything else. Um, over and under and through anything else. Um, As Dave mentioned, I spent a few years of my early adulthood here in Birmingham, so it's been really fun to be back um, and to get to share it with many of my friends, but I do call St. Louis home now and um, love it there. I'm really thankful to be on staff at Restoration Community Church. I'm glad to have my pastors here, um, as well as um, some of our alumni in the room. Um, So thank you all for being here today. Um, Part of my story also is that Um, I am single, I am 40, Um, I've never been married and have always wanted to be married and have kids. So that's something that has been um, part of of my story is learning to live with that Um, and learning what it means to live with those unfulfilled desires and unfulfilled longings and to figure out how to do that faithfully, um, how to wrestle with the Lord on that, um, how to um, be part of the church body with that. And it's something that that I've given um, thought to and had the opportunity to put words to in a number of different ways over the years. Um, Last year, or in um, the spring of 2020, uh, when churches were just starting to think about coming back together um, after the pandemic and and worshiping again in person after going online, 
I saw um, an announcement from a church that was giving some instructions on what it would look like for them to come back together and worship. They talked about the social distancing, and in their language, they said something along the lines of, of course, households and couples will be allowed to sit together. And my heart just sank, because I had that picture in my head of the single person sitting by themselves, isolated completely with six-foot distance surrounding them in the middle of a church sanctuary. And because of that, I was, I was very deeply compelled um, to, to say something about that. And so I posted this on Facebook. I wrote this on May 14th of 2020. Um, don't really worry about trying to read it there. I'll read it for you. I wrote, please be particularly mindful of the women and men in your congregation who typically attend church alone. They may be single or they may be the only member of their household who comes to church. How will social distancing measures, the way we communicate about them, impact these beloved members of our church families? How will it hit them if they hear or read families and couples will be allowed to sit together? When walking into church alone can already be a vulnerable, lonely endeavor, how much more so if we'll still have to sit alone on an island with a six-foot radius? When single people have already lost so much in the absence of church gatherings, how can our return to those gatherings begin to provide a balm rather than further harm? Could this be an opportunity to practically live out our theology of spiritual family? Without setting aside wisdom and necessary precautions, could we think creatively and maybe even sacrificially about how to love and serve those brothers and sisters through our gatherings. That post, I, I am not a uh, huge Facebook, you know, I don't have the following that some people do, uh, but that post received 235 reactions, 64 comments, and was shared 42 times. Our single folks are hurting, and that resonated. That fear of that island of a six-foot radius, that resonated with our single people. And my hope for this time and the next few minutes that we have together is to equip you as leaders, um, as teachers, as pastors, um, as friends in the church um, to love our brothers and sisters who are single well um, and to think about how to creatively and maybe even sacrificially love and serve our single brothers and sisters, and how we do life together as churches. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Oftentimes our single people can feel like less of a part of the body. They can feel like an unimportant part. Um, or just like they don't have a function at all. But the truth is that we belong to one another. The things that we experience, whether single, married, single again, those things matter to us as an entire church body. And it's that belief and that conviction um, that really informs and undergirds what we're going to talk about today. So my approach to this for all of you um, and for us together is that I want you to be able to walk away from this time with some questions to reflect on and questions to ask 
of your church um, and of how you are doing this together as a church. So I hope that if you are in a leadership position at your church, you can reflect on these things. I hope that if you are a layperson in your church, um, that these are conversations that you can possibly take back to your leadership um, or to, in ways that you have agency in your church to be able to think about these things. So we have nine questions, but anyone who's uh, read any of my small group materials or discussion materials that I write for our church will tell you that one question is never just one question. So I've said nine-ish questions uh, to ask uh, of, um, of your church and what's going on there in terms of how we are loving and caring for our single people. So the first question I want you to think about, who are your single people? Who are the single people? Maybe you are single. I don't want to presume. I, I cannot actually presume that all of you are married because I know some of you are single. Um, but as you sit in this room right now, who are the people that come to your mind? Who are the people that you are bringing into this room with you when you think about the single people in your church? Those may be people who've never been married, people who are divorced, people who are widowed, maybe single parents. They may or may not want to be married or married again. They're probably of various ages and life stages. Um, they may be people who struggle with same-sex attraction. They may be not only your church members, but you may have neighbors, you may have coworkers, you may have people in your family who are single that come to your mind. As we continue to have these in mind, I also want us to think about not only the people who are single in our congregations, but I also want us to think about our neighbors and those around us in the watching world who are single. In a recent article um, published on Vox.com, Anne Helen Peterson wrote about the escalating costs of being single in America. She wrote um, about the, the statistics of single people in the United States. Um, recent research says that about 30% of American adults are single. Um, and that means um, single, many of those living alone also. So that's something else to consider. We didn't talk about that, but whether these people are living in community, living with others, or living alone impacts their experience of singleness as well but we've got about 30% of American adults who are single. And Peterson writes, to be clear, these numbers aren't increasing because society has shifted to accommodate the single or solo living. Quite the contrary, they're increasing even though the United States is still organized in pretty much every way to accommodate and facilitate the lives of partnered and cohabitating people, particularly married people. We don't seem to like or respect single people and their choices. It doesn't matter how many songs or books or movies seem to champion the triumphs of the single person. Our societal actions, the way we support and reward people, suggest otherwise. Now this is a secular source talking about the experience generally of single people. But I think this reflects what the experience of many people, many single people is in the church. That even though we have so much to look to in scripture, that would um, affirm and give space to the single life. Um, we are not encouraged and supported in that in the way that we need to be. And even our actions in the church don't necessarily support and, and I'll use the word affirm perhaps rather than reward, affirm single people. Um, so 
I think I would venture to say that we're all here because we believe that the way we do this in the church ought to look different. We ought to have something different to offer to the world in terms of how single people um, are supported and affirmed in their pursuit of faithfulness in the place that God has put them now, um, which is the place of singleness, however long that may last. So the next question that we need to ask is how robust is our theology of singleness? And that's a question that we need to think about both for us as leaders, but also for those in our congregations. Because the way that this comes out is not only in things that are said in sermons and in things that are taught in Bible studies and classes, um, but it's also what comes out in conversation. It's what comes out in those, often those just asides or the questions that get asked, the things that people are talking about. I heard a woman say uh, recently, my son is single and he's getting so old. I said, oh, how, how old is he? I was, you know, ready to maybe get his number. Um, <laughs> but, and she, and she said, she said, 24 that reveals something about our theology of marriage and our theology of singleness and what we value. So the question is, have we spent time as leaders and as a church community attending to what the Bible says about singleness? Have we really thought about that and examined what we're believing and what we're living out? So both our formal and functional theology as it relates to singleness, but also to marriage and to sexuality. If that's something that you haven't maybe attended a lot to, I would strongly recommend Barry Danilak's book, Redeeming Singleness. Um, it is an excellent overview of a biblical theology of singleness. Um, so tracing from the Old Testament to the New, the way that um, the Bible does affirm singleness, not necessarily over and above marriage, although Paul does talk about singleness as a good thing and a way to be anxious about the things of the Lord and have undivided attention. Um, but this really helps to balance out what has in many ways become um, a skewed emphasis on valuing marriage above singleness in the church. Um, so this book, I think, is a really helpful corrective to that. Another thing to pay attention to um, is, is thinking about how we're talking about the church as a body, how we're talking about the church as a family. Um, because as we do that, that helps us to remember that it's not our married people that are the most important in the church. It's not parents that are most important in the church. We need all of our members. We need every member to be functioning properly. If your baby toe hurts, that messes with your whole day. Am I right? And so even, even the baby toe of the congregation, we won't pick out who that is, but even that person matters. Their pain matters um, just as much as anyone else's does. That's something that's important for us to think about. And this gets revealed, our, what we believe about singleness um, gets revealed in some of the cliches or some of, some of the promises that we might make. Um, did any of you have a piece of chocolate and open it up and find a promise written inside? These are Dove promises. Anyone have yours and want to read what the, what the promise was inside of it? Be with people who make you laugh. Mm, make you laugh. That's a warm fuzzy. What else? 
Be fearlessly authentic. Thank you, Dove. Anyone else? Book the flight. Do it. Do it. That is a message for someone here. So tell me, I'm continuing the crowd participation. Have any of you heard promises or cliches related to singleness uh, that, that might be along these lines? I see some head nod, heads nodding. What have you heard? There's someone for everyone. Yeah, what else? You'll find him when you're not looking. looking. Yes, yes. When you're finally satisfied in the Lord, then you'll reward you. Yes. Yes, when you are finally content with your singleness, that's when the Lord will bring you a husband or a wife. Yes. Yes, so we hear these things. We hear you deserve to be happy. I've heard, I know God has someone in mind for you, to which I say, oh, okay, well, where, where, where is he? Like, get, like where, show, show him to me, please. But the truth is that just like, I mean, those, those carry about as much weight as these little pieces of foil on our Dove chocolates. They are well-intentioned, and they are well-meaning, and they are coming from a place of love, but they are not actually promises that we can cling to. They are not promises that God has made to us. And so we need to think about what we are saying to one another and how we're equipping our people to to check ourselves and to think about that temptation to use a cliche or to utter a promise like that that's not really a promise that God has given us. God has promised us his presence. He's promised us his provision. But we've also been promised that there will be suffering in this life. And he's promised us hope and the wiping away of tears in the future, but he hasn't promised us marriage here on earth, and he hasn't promised us happiness here. And we need to be careful about how we're talking about that and how we're teaching our people to talk about that. Also along with this, um, oh, there's um, one thing that we need to, to to think about under this banner of thinking about our theology of singleness is our theology of sexuality. Um, and one of the things that, that's been talked about a lot lately is the influence of purity culture um, and that movement in kind of the 90s and 2000s um, that really overemphasizes um, sexual purity and the rewards that come from that, um, kind of the sexual prosperity gospel. And Rachel Joy Walcher has written an excellent book on that that I would highly recommend that you read and process through with your people and the ways that these messages have been internalized. And really, she does a great job of of comparing these messages to what scripture actually says and upholding a biblical sexual ethic that does not come out of our culture um, and that does not even come out of of evangelical Christian culture necessarily, um, but truly comes from a place of um, solid biblical teaching. She writes here, We create opportunities to be disappointed with God when we put our hope in things he never promised. Jesus did not die so that Christians could live out their own Nicholas Sparks novel. It is not earthly marriage we are promised, but the marriage supper of the Lamb that we are promised. Um, One other thing um, under this question of our theology of singleness and marriage, um, think about and pay attention to what gets talked about when a baby is born at a baptism or at a baby shower where we are immediately uh, tending to pray for that child's future spouse. 
And there's something beautiful about that, certainly. Um, but I was at a baby shower a couple years ago where we, um, there were prayer requests written on little cards, and we each took a card and then sat in a circle and prayed for those prayer requests. When I drew out my card, I was one of the first to draw out a card, and um, it, t- it prompted me to pray for this little baby's future spouse. And I was having a bad day of singleness, and I could not do it. So I put that card back in the, bu- in the basket and took a different one. Um, but when it came time to pray, it was a recent college graduate who had chosen that, uh, that particular card. She was one of our RUF students. And she prayed the most beautiful prayer. She prayed, that that, she prayed for that little baby's spouse. But then she prayed... And if this little baby doesn't get married, no matter what happens, I pray that this baby would have community and would have relationships in which he could flourish. And obviously I cried uh, because I was so humbled and so touched by that. Um, And it was a blessing to me as a single person to hear that prayer prayed over this baby because we don't know if he's going to grow up and get married or not. And if he doesn't get married, that is not because the Lord is not faithful. Um, It is not because the Lord has not answered our prayers. And he is still a fully human person um, in vital relationships. So the third question that we need to ask, how are we teaching, preaching, and discipling our people towards a deeper assurance of our identity in Christ and belonging to the church body? Now, you may not expect... You may not have expected me to talk about this because this is not particular to singleness, but that is the point. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, I have community with others and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more, everything, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. There is much more that we share in common as brothers and sisters in Christ than we tend to realize. We are not first and foremost defined by our marital or parenting status, but as adopted sons and daughters of God, because that is ultimately what we will remain into eternity. We will forever be brothers and sisters to one another, Um, which is such good news, right? That is such good news. And we belong to one another in the body and are meant to grow in relationship as a household and as family. So that is what we need to be teaching and preaching and modeling and embodying for our people, is that assurance and constant reminder of our identity in Christ and who we are as brothers and sisters to one another in the church body. The next question to ask of our churches and how we're doing life together is where and how are we making space for lament and for talking about longing and waiting? This is something that um, has been especially important to me um, as um, my own pastor has taught about lament. Um, He's in the back of the room. He's Dan Song. Uh, But as Dan has talked about lament over the years of my life that he's been my pastor and talking to God about the things that we are struggling with, bringing our complaints to him rather than talking behind his back. And in singleness, just as in every other aspect of life, there are things to lament. There's the loneliness. There's the unfulfilled desires. There's the grief of of more and more years going by. 
um, and, and not having the companionship of a spouse. Um, there's this similar things to lament um, as, as there are in infertility. Um, as my years of singleness have gone on, um, I have felt the double grief, not only of, being, of not being married, but of not having biological children. Um, and those are things that we need to make space not only for single people to lament, um, but we need to make space for all of our people to lament the things of this life that are part of the experience of living in a broken world, um, to not make them come and put on a happy face on a Sunday morning, um, but to lament together in community. And K.J. Ramsey wrote an article for Christianity Today uh, about how both scripture and neuroscience uh, emphasize the importance of lamenting together in community, not just individually, but in community in the church. She writes, instead of avoiding pain or covering it with positivity, a church that makes space for lament offers every saint in her midst the sacred space of the embodied experience of hospitality toward the parts of their stories and bodies they most fear and hate. So when we have the opportunity to lament together, we find common ground with one another and with Jesus. So what does it look like to make space for lament, for talking about longing, for acknowledging that from the, from the time that Adam and Eve left the garden, we have been a waiting people. We are a waiting people. And some of us experience that in our day-to-day -day life more keenly than others. We'll experience it differently in different seasons of life. But how are we talking about that and what we teach about, what we talk about, what we sing about in our churches, in worship services, in small groups, in casual conversations? How can we sit together in our suffering, sit together in our loneliness, sit together in the aches and pains of this world and not try to fix it, but just bring it and put it before the Lord and put it at his feet and let him be the one to tend to it in his way and in his time. The next question, where and how do our single sisters and brothers have the opportunity to be known and loved in our church. How can our single people be known? How are we as ministry leaders welcoming, pursuing, and listening to single adults? How are we learning about their stories, their needs, what we would fill that whiteboard with if we were to list out the details of every one of those stories? Even just every one of those 10 people that are listed out there would fill a whiteboard. Um, with the details of their story. And one thing that I always say when I am talking about singleness is that I think one of the best ways that we can love single people, and probably one of the best ways we can love anyone, is to never assume. Um, don't assume that a single person is wanting to get married. Don't assume that a single person has never been married before. Don't assume that a single person um, is naturally attracted to someone of the opposite gender. Um, don't assume. Don't assume that they want to be set up. Don't assume that they don't want to be set up. <laughs> ask the questions. Take time to listen and ask those questions. Bonhoeffer again writes, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his words, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. 
That's why we can lament to him. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. And that's that tendency to want to fix, to want to give advice, to want to solve the problem. When what we need to do is listen and pay attention to the needs, pay attention to the aches and the pains and what hurts. And also pay attention to the joys, pay attention to the gifts and the ways that that a person that you're sitting across from could truly be a blessing to the body. What is the part that they have to play in the church body? Um, And brothers, for those of you here um, who are pastors and elders and ministry leaders, I would especially encourage you to think about where do you have opportunity to listen to the single women in your congregation? What does that look like for you? Are you listening? Are you taking opportunities to pursue them and seek them out? Um, and sit with them and hear their hearts and their stories um, and think about how they can be, not only how the church can meet their needs and offer them a place of belonging, um, but how they can be a blessing to the church. Very practically also, as we think about loving our single people, there are things to consider when it comes to um, our church structures, to programming and schedule and the language that we use. Um, are our small groups integrating single people and married people together in community? Um, Are we giving single people an opportunity to be involved in the lives of families um, and kids and teenagers? Um, Especially for um, women, there are many churches that, that tend to offer their women's ministries during the day, and that will naturally exclude women who work full time, which is going to be all of your single women. Um, Some of your married women as well, but your single women need to support themselves and are probably working during the day. Um, And so are you having evening opportunities for them to connect? Um, When we think about the language that we use um, in our churches, we have an annual all-church retreat. And when I first started attending our church, it was referred to as the family retreat. And that was well-meant because it meant the church family, but I as a single person didn't hear that. I heard that's not for me, so I didn't go. But as I came, became more a part of the church and realized, oh, I am part of this family, then I started to go on that retreat and loved every minute of it because of the way it allowed me to be part of the body. But now we call that the all-church retreat and not the church family retreat um, because that is just more welcoming language um, that is, is inclusive of both those who are single and those who are part of a family um, in a nuclear biological sense. What are our applications when we're thinking about teaching and preaching? Are our applications primarily about marriage and parenting, or are we also talking about the workplace, talking about roommate relationships, talking about friendship? Where are we talking about friendship in our churches and emphasizing that? Um, How are we thinking about that? And also, not just applying things to marriages, but also applying it to singleness um, and naming some of those longings. What are we talking about as we talk publicly in preaching or teaching? And look for the people in your church who are already loving single people well. Look for the people who are inviting, who are befriending, who are setting that extra seat at their table. Um, and make sure that you are supporting them and really enlisting them um, to help model that for other people of what it looks like to love the single brothers and sisters in your church well. And as we do that, then we can ask, 
How are we attending to the unique shepherding and discipleship needs of single adults? As I said, there is much that unites us and much that is common to the discipleship needs of all adults. Um, but there are particular things that we need to think about um, and pay attention to as we are walking with our people who are single. Um, and this is another place where listening is so essential, um, to know what the needs are, what are the questions that single people in your church are asking, what are the things that they are struggling with, how can we help them cultivate wisdom and discernment for the things that they are facing in life. Um, there, a, a huge need for that comes um, for single folks who are dating, um, especially with online dating and just if, if you haven't dated in a while, just know that it's a mess. Um, it is complicated. It is, yep, talk to your single people about that. Um, hear what their experience has been like um, and help them think about what does it look like to exercise wisdom and discernment um, in that. Beth Falker Jones in her book, Faithful, A Theology of Sex, writes, um, writes about how we can um, help our people exercise discernment when it comes to sexuality. She says, if we want to show the world in truth and beauty what it means to glorify God in our bodies, we have to be able to see distortion as distortion. We need the tools to discern what, when sex tells the truth about God and supports human flourishing, and when sex denies the reality of God and is harmful to human beings. We must have a way to diagnose the situation we're in, to know when we're not embodying the truth of the God who is faithful. We need to be able to recognize when we're embodying instead brokenness and idolatry and sin. And this is a place where there is a huge need um, for deeper discipleship and how we think about um, sex, how we think about relating to one another, um, because the world is speaking so loudly on this. Um, and the church has not done a great job. That's where um, Rachel Joy Welcher's book, Talking Back to, to Purity Culture, is so helpful. And um, Jones's book is also very helpful on that topic. Um, but we need to help our people have tools to discern what it means to be faithful um, in the area of our sexuality. For our single adults, we also um, have the opportunity to walk alongside one another in making big life decisions. Um, that is something that I think married people need help with too, um, but especially single people um, who are making big life decisions alone. So whether that be a decision to move, um, I have a single friend who just bought a house and watching her walk through that, her community rallied around her um, to where she was, you know, she was like, I, I can't actually work this week because I'm talking to people so much uh, and processing this, but that's what was needed to help make that transition, that decision, and then that transition happen. Um, it was gonna really take her church community around her um, to help her with that. Um, we need wisdom and how to relate to biological family, um, where many of our peers have um, kind of left and cleaved, uh, and their relationship to their biological family looks very different, or they have the companionship of a spouse in dealing with um, aging parents or family conflicts or that kind of thing. The church can come alongside single people in, in their um, biological family relationships as well. Um, and while we may, um, we may tend to think of the single adult as that 24-year-old guy that uh, my new friend mentioned, but even as this list here reflects, um, there are many single folks who are dealing with fears related to aging. And what does it look like to age alone? Um, and what does that mean? I don't know if any of you are fans of This Is Us, but uh, in a recent episode, uh, the, the adult sons 
were um, caring for their aging mother and brushing her hair and putting lotion on her hands. And a single friend who was watching that show along, along with me texted me as she watched that part, and she said, who's going to put lotion on my hands when I'm an old lady? And that is a real fear. Um, and that is another place where the church has the opportunity to come alongside um, and be part of caring for our single brothers and sisters um, and our single mothers and fathers in the church um, as we age. Question number seven, what are we expecting of our single adults? I once heard a single man who was in middle age talk about um, his church had had a potluck and uh, they, they broke it down and assigned people what to bring and it was families in the first half of the alphabet bring a main dish, families in the last half of the alphabet bring dessert, and single people can bring potato chips. This was a man, he said, you know, I, I feed myself every week, every day, I manage to feed myself. I could do more than potato chips. But I think that reflects something about what we expect from our single people sometimes. We don't expect maturity. Um, now, there are times when I would be certain I do just bring potato chips because I've had a busy week and I have been making all my own meals, and so I'm going to bring potato chips to the potluck. But um, that's not because it is all that is expected of me. Um, so how can we expect to see maturity in our single adults, to see them grow in maturity in Christ and be sanctified just like our married brothers and sisters, but in a different way and through different avenues um, and different experiences? Um, we ought not to expect that single adults have limitless time and energy. They are not the go-to solution to every staffing problem, every volunteer issue, every babysitting need. Um, but again, that's a place where we don't want to assume uh, what someone's capacity is, what their bandwidth is in terms of time and serving and availability. There might be a single person who loves nothing more than to help out with your kids. Um, but there might be another single person for whom that is exhausting and draining, and they already have had enough just to keep life in order for the week, and they don't have the bandwidth to serve in that way. So we want not to expect everything of them or not to expect superhuman capacity. But we, um, another thing that we can expect along with maturity is we can expect that inviting single people to come alongside our marriages and our parenting will actually be a benefit to our marriages and our parenting. I have a friend whose marriage nearly broke, and it was a single friend who came alongside and championed that marriage and encouraged my friend to keep fighting and encouraged them to hang in there um, alongside counselors, alongside wise um, wise mentors and others, other friends who were praying for them and supporting them through a marriage crisis. Um, but my friend said, if it weren't for that single friend championing our, championing our marriage, we would not be here. And that is something that um, there is, we can be, we may tend not to expect single people to be able to offer support, offer input even to our marriages and our parenting. Um, but there is more that we can expect that might meet the eye. Um, we can also expect single folks to be in the lives, invested in the lives of the younger generation, whatever that might look like. We all make our baptism vows to our babies um, to help raise them. And we as single folks who don't have kids of our own, um, we get to be part of that too. And it is a great, great blessing to be part of that. 
Sam Albury writes about this. He says, I am a vital part of the growth of other people through friendship and involvement of their lives, just as they are a vital part of my growth. As we invest constructively in the lives of others, we are contributing tangibly to the creation mandate. Um, both in Albury's book and in Barry Danilak's book that I mentioned earlier, they um, do a great job of writing about the significance of spiritual offspring and the way that um, the New Testament um, ushers in a new vision for fruitfulness, um, that fruitfulness isn't just about biological procreation, but that it is also about spiritual parenting. Um, and that is something that um, our single people just alongside um, those who are parents have the opportunity um, to be part of that in our churches. Um, and I think we see some beautiful things. I know I am the product of um, a church that had a number of older single women who were deeply invested in our lives to the extent that I never thought of them as, as sad or lonely or other because they were just, it's like they're having such a great time with us, that they're having a great life. Um, and and that, there was more to their story than that, I'm sure. Um, but that was such an important part of my upbringing, to have those single sisters in the church um, be part of our family. The eighth question for us to ask, who and what do we celebrate as a church? Um, in the church, it is, it is very typical for us to celebrate babies and marriages. Um, those are good and right things to celebrate. Those are things for us to rejoice in. But there is much more that we can rejoice in if we look for that opportunity. Because if all that we are celebrating is babies and marriages, that leaves out our single folks. But how can we as a church think about ways to celebrate other things in life, other milestones, to celebrate promotions at work, to celebrate um, graduations, new homes, um, and to celebrate things like friendship and celebrate ordinary faithful service. Um, how can we think about those things? And that's going to look different in every church in terms of how you celebrate things. Um, you know, we had, I had someone um, in my church talk about that. And, and the place in our church where a lot of that happens is in our small groups. Um, that that's the place where we want people to say, hey, something great happened. And I want you all to know and I want you to celebrate with me. Um, so that's going to look differently in every church. But that's something that's important for us to consider um, what are we celebrating, who are we celebrating, and how are we celebrating it? Question number nine, how are we practicing hospitality and meeting the practical needs of single adults in our midst? Lauren Winner writes, one of the best ways Christian communities can support chastity is to ensure that married people and single folks are in relationship with one another. Fostering relationships between married and single means not assuming that couple is the basic unit of Christian identity. Did you hear that one? It means asking the single person not only who are you dating, but how is God calling you to be faithful now as you are. It means making sure you have an odd number of chairs at your dinner parties. How are we practicing that kind of odd number of chair hospitality? Um, this is something that is always important, but I think it's especially important um, post-pandemic because many of us have, myself included, have gotten out of the habit of hosting, out of the habit of having people in our homes. Um, and we've become more isolated and defaulted towards that. So how can we invite and include? Um, I talked to someone recently who just had a new um, single pastor move to town and they said, we've been inviting him to everything. And I said, Great, like, thank you for doing that. Thank you for including him and inviting him um, in that. But this also looks like Offering rides, um, caring for people when they're sick, um, helping with decision-making. Um, when there are mice stuck in a trap, 
in your house? Uh, can a single woman in your church call someone uh, and uh, have them come take care of it? Uh, I called Dan Song, and when S.J. Lim found out that I had called Dan, S.J. said, why did you not call me? Uh, <laughs> which probably Dan wishes I had. But that's what we need. We need the kind of people we can call when we are in a pinch, when we are in a tight spot, we also need diaconal care. Um, so whatever that looks like in your church's structure of diaconal care, um, think about how you can be caring for the single people in your church um, and how you can be helping to meet their needs as well. Um, there was a single woman I knew who had a tree go down in, in her front yard, and she knew she could make a call to the deacons, um, and, and they would be there with chainsaws. And, and it, was, it was encouraging to me that she knew she could make that call and that they would show up for her. Um, because I think that's part of how we practice mercy together as a church is by caring for one another in that way. So one last question. I said nine-ish, remember. As you take all this in, um, who are one or two people in your church with whom you could continue this conversation? Where can you go with these questions? And maybe not all nine of them, um, but maybe just take one or two of these questions um, is there a single person in your church that you need to have a conversation with? Um, is there a colleague or another ministry leader in the church that you need to have a conversation with to think about um, how you can help as a church to love and care for your single people better than, than maybe what you're currently doing? How can you think creatively about that? How can your church think about serving sacrificially for the sake of not only the single people who are already in your pews, um, but for the sake of the single people around you who are watching what the church is doing and who are looking for the kind of support and affirmation that the church can offer because of what the Bible teaches us about singleness and the beautiful vision that God gives us for the church family. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.